0: We together. Welcome to the Listen, Talk, Heal podcast, where we talk with members of the University of Toronto community about their experiences during the pandemic and how we as a community can recover together. I'm Kim Lin, a fourth-year undergraduate student studying computer science, statistics, and psychology.
1: And I'm Tony, a recent U of T graduate who studied mathematics, cognitive sciences, and statistics, and we are your co-hosts.
0: And in today's episode, we will be speaking with Professor Fanny Chevalier of the Department of Statistical Sciences and the Department of Computer Science.
1: Awesome! So today we have Professor Fanny Chevalier joining us today. How are you? I'm great, thank you, Tony. How are you? Yusu really, is very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, yeah, I'm just going to try speaking some words. Okay, so uh, we're gonna introduce ourselves. Um, I can go first. I'm Tony, as you know. Uh, My pronouns are he and him. Um, I graduated, I studied a stats minor and I'll pass the mic to Kimlin.
0: Hi, I'm Kimlin. I'm going into my fourth year doing computer science, statistics and psychology. I use she, her pronouns.
2: And I guess it's my turn, so I'm Fanny Chevalier. Uh, I go by uh, she, her. Uh, Je suis Française. uh, And I am an assistant professor at uh, the university in the departments of computer science and statistical sciences. And I'm very interested in data visualization and human-computer
1: interaction. That's really cool. Merci. Could you tell us a little bit about the courses that you taught in the last year?
2: So the past year, uh, I guess you refer to the uh, work from home year. Uh, so I, well, I, I taught uh, two courses. So one uh, that was a graduate course in data visualization. Um, and I taught an undergrad course. Uh, in the Department of Stats, uh, which is also on, on data visualization, but um, more at an earlier level.
1: Great, thank you. How was that like since it was online and you have to teach from home?
2: So, yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. So the graduate course um, is typically a small-scale course. Uh, that I I have taught like for for several years now. So this course um, was actually not so difficult to adapt to an online setting because most of the uh, content that we we cover in class is uh, reading through papers, and uh, I have students in the class that are gi- being given a role every you know week uh, to look the, at at some research paper with a specific lens. So some will be you know, tasked into uh, reading the paper and, and make a critical review about the, the the technical content of the paper. And some of them will be like, you know, those who look at all of the papers or some of the papers that cited this work and, and give the class then an account about, uh, you know, what are subsequent works that have built on that particular paper and that are important? So I have a few like um, other roles like that. And during the class time, basically we have like a big group discussion. So those who have like you know reviewed the technical content, share what they thought, and, and so on. So it was easy to translate, you know, a discussion from the classroom where I say, like, okay, your turn, your turn, your turn, to like a Zoom kind of context where like, you know, people will be like your turn, your turn, your turn. So that worked pretty smoothly also because, you know, graduate students um, are are, are easy to just like, you know, um, instruct in terms of, you know, uh respecting each other's time because we're like a small setting uh knowing not to go too long you know during that presentation and and um pretty comfortable also at this level in terms of like you know uh interrupting for like rich discussion which might be more difficult at the undergrad level where you know you might be more shy you might not know as well like you know the rest of the classroom and uh, most importantly, you're like 100 people in the same Zoom room, which is very difficult <laughs> for, for, for discussion. For, for that course, that was pretty pretty easy to translate uh, into the into the online setting. but for the undergrad course, what uh, and where I was lucky is like it was a very first offering of all times. So that's the new course I introduced in the, in the, in the Department of statistics and I designed the course from scratch with, that knowledge already in my hands as in like it's going to be online so i I designed the course uh, with that in mind there there have been many challenges in how to make it you know engaging and and friendly for the students uh, possibly living in many different time zones as well Uh, so the way i did i opted for what i believe many instructors have done which is a flipped classroom with short you know kind of lecture content that Students can watch at any time uh, before the class. And then during the class, I try to make it as engaging as possible using breakout rooms, small activities, polling, uh, both anonymous, non-anonymous, trying to get people to engage and get to know one another uh, with or without me in the breakout rooms and and this kind of of mechanism to to help also like the students build a, a sort of a community because when you're removed from the physical space that you share, the only one opportunity that you get is like that Zoom room where you get some synchronous time together. And most of the undergrad students are shy and do not share their videos. So you don't even, for some students, you don't even ever see their face. And so I, I try to kind of you know mitigate that that difficulty by having the breakout room where I hope students will turn on their camera and get like, you know, to be in a friendly, safe environment to discuss and, and think about the course material. But yeah, it was a lot of work to make it happen, recording the videos so that they are polished, and not boring to watch, uh, you know, passively at home and then the, the, a lot of work to make the content, you know, online friendly uh also for the synchronous time so but many things that are positive and that I will translate whenever we return to in-person instruction I will keep the flipped classroom because I love spending the the lecture time with my students like you know just like interacting with all of the students so it pushed like for more interactivity uh, for sure
1: great thank you I think you just answered the next the next question I was going to ask um we actually both took the court took that course you mentioned last year um so kim len how did you like the course
0: i like the course i think it was very interesting because i guess um in statistics it's been in the statistics courses i've been taking it's been more like linear regression and stuff so it was interesting, like, this focus on the kind of data visualization part, and I didn't know they had, like, so many different ways you could visualize data. What about you, Tony?
1: I, I liked it a lot. It, I think it's my favorite course. Um, I think it's, <laughs> like, one of my top courses in the past four years. Like, so much fun. I learned a lot, and it's not super hard. And you actually learn things, you actually learn how to things and I think that has helped me a lot since then and I was able to make friends with you guys because we're all on, on the project now so um, I think that was really cool
2: um so, are you saying that because I'm in in the room
1: no that is is not mean, <laughs> I love that course it was a lot of fun. although it could get kind of stressful to present um, since, I think we, uh, we all had to present um, in class, I forgot the name of the task But we all have to pick something and then tell to the class what do you like about it or do you not And then like that, that was kind of s- stressful for me But it was, it was not that bad um, I don't know if you're going to do the same thing um, Like that again, or are you going to change it in some way?
2: Yeah, so the exercise that you refer to is a design critique. So there are, there are several reasons why I put students on the spot. Like, I mean, I know, and I'm not the most comfortable person in public settings as either, right? Like, you know, I was nervous even before logging into this, you know, chat. You're friendly people. We know each other. The stakes are not like so crazy, but still, like, you know, it's difficult to be put on the spot as you expose yourself. But that's something that we have to do in our professional life all the time so it's not to to be hard on the students that i'm trying to do that but because communication is key to like you know having something that happens smoothly within a work team and also like if you want to uh progress in in your career so there's no career progression without public speaking without having to pitch and, and um, some, you know, argument to to some people higher up in the hierarchy. So, and and even if you pretend to management, uh, you know, positions or uh, academic position, you, you you'd have to teach, you'd have to manage a group. So there's a lot of public speaking that has, you know, to happen, and it is very important to practice because if you keep like in your shell for too long, then you know you never practice, and and we have to put ourselves. Outside of our comfort zone, because the more you practice, the better you become at it. And, and my goal with the design critiques um, was, you know, to put you on a spot with some content that uh, you are excited to talk about. So I didn't impose the content. I was like, you know, this is the theme. Now look for something you would love to share with the class. And, and that was like, you know, and we saw many cases of, uh, you know, where, where students picked something because, you know, this topic is very important to me, even if the visualization might not have been so, you know, uh, great in terms of what we learn uh, from the visualization design for that particular class, there was like another rich discussion around that. And that's also one mechanism to, to help, you know, everybody contribute. <laughs> some content to the class because there was some interesting aspect to the particular example that they picked that, that they wanted to share and yeah we didn't do as much like you know uh, in class presentations that would be about you know reporting on your work and so on I have a lot of that in my other courses as well I'm always asking students to to talk in public because there's not enough practicing of that and I'm trying to create that that safe environment actually in in the classroom, because after you see one, two, three, four, five, ten students like struggling the same way as you would <laughs> when your, your turn comes, you get to like you know take it more easy. And and I'm, I'm giving mostly positive feedback. You know after the presentation, they were not graded in terms of you know you did well or you did not did well for the design critique. What was graded is you showing up. And what was graded was the the write-up. So that's a very different exercise, which you're much more used to. So I was also trying to create, you know, a situation where there's not as much that you know that is at stake beside facing your own fears of speaking and, and sharing with the rest of the class. So that was that was a mechanism to to help you know get get better at that. So not not too high of a grade, not even a grade for, 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 you know, the quality of the presentation. I have other assignments where there is that, and I believe we had some in the class. But yeah, I will, I will keep a lot of the design critique uh, exercise because I love it because you bring, you've brought sort of you like in the, in the class, plenty of great examples that I didn't know and I didn't come across and plenty of them I, I love uh, that I've been made aware of. So I will keep that even though I will not try to have everybody cover that uh, fully within the lecture time because we missed uh, some time on other activities that I had planned for, uh, which I I think I should crave up more time for like during the lecture. So there might be like a split, you know, a few, you know, like the best of last week tutorial or something like that could be like, you know, in terms of the examples, not the presentation, but in terms of the examples or some of those things that could be a vote and, but yeah, I, I, I I will change some of the formula because I think even though the examples are great, it might have been too much of them for two hours, too many weeks at a time, so. Yeah,
0: great. And also, I think I didn't see the STAT 313 course in the calendar this year. Is it, when next will it be offered?
2: It will be offered next, next year. So the reason is uh, as follows. So I I am a faculty who uh, split my time between computer science and statistics. And uh, because of that, I do my teaching in both institution, which is giving me half of the time of a regular teaching time in either department. And so this year I'm going to teach uh, human-computer interaction in the computer science department, and next year I come back uh, <laughs> to oh teaching gosh. data visualization in stats. Uh, so the stats course is not like one of the core courses at the moment, which has to be like you know taken by all of the students it's more often an elective um but um no i would love to teach it more often uh, i mean not oh. trying to get more work on my plate
1: <laughs> i am sad i'm sad to hear that Whoa, so but
2: uh, but yeah no the hopes would be to have like you know more uh, faculty like me joining and and being specialist in visualization who can who can take it every other year so we, we would split the work uh, this way but but yeah, we lack more, more, you know, visualization offerings in in the general. But I cannot split myself too much everywhere and and, and do that. Not that I don't believe anybody else can uh, currently cannot do it, but um, all of the other instructors are busy with other courses as well. So we we lack the the resources to teach this one, you know, um, more regularly. But it will come. It will come. Okay, and what course are you teaching in human computer interaction this year? Um, The course is called uh, CSH Rating, the the Design of uh, Computational Media, I think is the proper title for it. So what we cover in this course is all of the methods uh, around user-centered design um, uh, for like, you know, creating products computing solutions i'm 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 intentional in the way i pick my words here so computational solution because i don't want to say like it's an interface i don't want to say it's an app it's a computational solution which is like a system where there's some you know cpu somewhere that will calculate something so technology you know uh technology solution to a problem and the reality of thing, if you think about it, there are plenty of objects or situations where you will find that you know things have been misdesigned, and you as a user of whatever you know object or service or a kind of installation or, or you know urban you know, setup or whatever you name it, uh, you will find that oh, this is so annoying because you have to repeat the same operation many times, or so you make too many errors, it's difficult to recover from the error, or you want to achieve a goal and the thing is not well done so that you get to your to your goal um you know really smoothly you have to think hard uh, to get to the to the final result and uh, most of the time the bad design is a result of people having uh tried to solve a problem which is not the problem or and much less often it is the case that they designed a poor solution uh, to a problem that they had gotten right, so uh, uh, there's a misconception usually about like you know, oh, I'm going to look at this problem and I, I and I I believe I know everything about this problem. But we are like individual with a particular you know kind of very very narrow view about you know how a particular you know solution should work. Because think about it this way: I'm French. I cook in a certain fashion. I've I've grown up in France. There are some tools that I need. There are some, you know, habits that I've developed. There are some uh, dishes that I make and that, you know, either you, Tony, or you, Kim, and don't make. And you have the need for a very different kitchen than mine. But if I design the kitchen for everybody, I, I would have, like, had too narrow off of a view. So this course is very much about, you know, let's try to understand, you know, all of our users. And maybe also, let's dig deeper into the problems. Maybe I see you, like, you know, Uh, missing your dish because you know um, it burnt is it but what is the reason for why it burnt it's not necessarily because of the pan it may be but is it or maybe because you put the pan at this particular moment because there was something else so it's kind of you know trying to dig deeper into the root cause of why something didn't work and finding the true problem to things and the true you know goals of people And that's you know teaching all of the methods so we have observations interviews uh all kinds of methods and then all of the process of you know designing quickly with paper prototypes not implementations of of actual solution but paper prototypes uh, that we have uh, students test with uh, target users so imagine like I I prototype a new seat for you to watch movies with like some whatever crazy sound system, so I would build something with cardboard and stuff like that. And have you sit there and put you in the situation simulate you're in the situation and then test what works what doesn't and so on and so forth, so it's a it's a very fun course I love teaching it it's a difficult one to teach because. Oftentimes, students don't realize how difficult it is to to design a questionnaire well. Uh, they don't understand what are the, the difficulty of like you know doing user research, research uh, properly, and it seems straightforward when you teach many of those uh, those uh, methods. But it's not it's not straightforward. It's it's very hard actually. But um, yeah, I'm still struggling <laughs> communicating and having students realize like. Ah, oh, you think you got it right, but no, you don't. <laughs> but they're frustrated. They, 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 they can, they can do super well, but there's just plenty of mistakes that are difficult to point to and and realize.
0: Yeah, I actually took CSC it with Professor Posner last year. How did it? Was you interesting.
2: It? Yeah, it was fun to do. Did you have a theme for the final project? How did it work for the.
0: Well, well, I guess like we decided on the problem of um, finding like connection and community in like online school. So we built this website, well, a prototype of the website called CC Notes. It was like collaborative classroom notes. Students could like they would have this kind of shared notepad and they can interact in kind of like breakout rooms in like online classes, but like the professor would have control over these rooms, like you can like easily see what students were doing.
2: Cool, yeah, it's fun that these final projects. Uh, I have co taught this course with um, with Ilona Posner in the past. And it's uh, like the whole goal of the course is to have students like develop their own project in a similar fashion as we did also for the visualization class, which is like get to work onto something that excites you, and that we didn't define and, and describe for you, which which gives a lot of you know room for like you know um, excitement for the students. It's it's great if you can decide on your own topic, but also like it's it's. A lot about addressing learning objectives which is how do you do when we do not define well the problem for you so how do you navigate that space how do you organize with your team uh, to uh, to refine the problem to to choose on a topic and 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 work around that because that's that's what the world is made of most of the time you're not having a handout that says go through step one two three four so towards the end of the of the term, that's what we love to have a project that is a little bit less guided, but that gives much more freedom then for the students to do do what they please and take it where they want to take it.
0: Okay. And besides teaching, you're also quite involved in research, right? What is that like?
2: Well, um, you mean regarding how we did uh, the past year in the work from home or like in more general terms? yeah in the past year how did you do research okay so it's you know what like research um is very different from the classroom in that you know you happen to collaborate with a lot of people over the course of your career and that often involves people who are like remote and even in an in-person you know uh kind of context Uh, pre-pandemic context, we would have a lot of, like, you know, these kind of remote interaction with some of the um, collaborators who might be located, you know, uh, on the West Coast, in Europe or in Asia and so on. So uh, you you get to learn how to navigate uh, that. But on a day-to-day basis, um, we have labs, research labs. So we have, like, a, a space. Uh, within one of the buildings at the university, where you know uh, it's an open space where students sit down, and it's it's great like you know to to hang out and to to have like you know exposure to what other people do in terms of their research, and to and to share, ask questions, have coffee together, share the struggle during deadline times, and 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 so on and so forth. And it's been tough, you know, for, for the students in, in general. So in my group, like people have I've gone well, like mainly because most are, are lucky enough to be living either with the parents or have like a nice situation at home that made it that, you know, uh, they had housemates that were not uh, as isolated. Uh, some of them were more than others but it, it's been hard like you know even if you have like a good support home system and things like you miss the the workplace and the uh, the connection with the community I think it's very much like you know in in, in undergrad even if you don't go to the lab and, and have research but the lab in in grad studies the lab becomes your second home truly really, you you stay late you work hard and and the lab mates are more or less your brothers and sisters so it's it's been difficult to be removed from that and there's a lot of you know the professional context uh, that has been removed but i've, I've done like you know um, weekly meetings <clears throat> with my students as as always this doesn't change much you know in terms of we we set a time we meet up um, if it's my in my office or on zoom it's pretty much Know equivalent, but my walking around the lab and say, Hey, uh, Nicole, how are you doing today? and just like chit chatting, uh, showing presence, showing that I care, showing that I'm around, uh, checking on them, like just without you know checking explicitly on them. Like you can check on your student, oh, I haven't seen you at the lab yet, you know, in a week or so, is everything okay? So, these kind of things, or when you pass by somebody, they seem super happy, oh, what makes you happy, and it's just like you know. A lot of those interactions have been very, very uh, difficult to to not have uh, in the in the day to day, you know, uh, experience. But the research has been going on, you know, that you get work to do, eventually you get at it. But I think, yeah, uh, everybody looks forward to getting back <laughs> in full time, full capacity and have, you know, normal interactions, because a lot, a lot of the research, you know, happens by being immersed in the in a lab environment, so it's uh, it's been difficult for that.
0: And what are ways like students
2: can get involved in your research? So how do students um, integrate my lab, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, there are different mechanisms. So uh, there are some research courses that are offered uh, in the undergrad um, at the undergrad level in stats and also in computer science. So in computer science, I think it's CSC 494 and 495, So which is a course for for one student. So they they enroll there and they have to find a a supervisor or a supervisor put a project and they find a, a student. And it's similar in stats. It's uh, STA, I think, four nine six and four nine seven, I think. And there are different offerings of of those. Uh, so I've been very selective for that because you know su- supervising research at the undergrad level is is like you need to train from you know <laughs> pretty much uh, nothing to uh, to get them. So it's it's a much more hands on uh, kind of activity. Um, than you know, supervising research for a postdoc who has had like many years of experience and they, they are very autonomous and you give more or less feedback, but they, they can do things on their own. So uh, to do that properly, I don't like to have like too many undergrads because I couldn't give them full attention otherwise, and then the experience wouldn't be pleasing nor any useful for anybody. So I've had like one or two such summer students uh, per year. Uh, summer or like even other other terms, and and it depends on the students and how it goes. Some have been like just trying to help on on existing project for other grad students, PhD or uh, master students in my lab, and some uh, have come up with their own projects, which I I, I supported and and helped. So that's one way when you're an undergrad, you you reach out to profs and you can say like, you know, I'm interested in being exposed to research. Uh, I would like to take that course. Uh, This is an easy mechanism for many of the profs also because there's no financial support that we need to seek for, because it's like, you know, a course for credit. So several profs might be inclined to do that because, you know, you don't have to think about how the financial cost, you know, on your grants might be. And then there's a regular, you know, other track, which is uh, applying for grad school, so masters and PhD, but that's, you know, uh, getting into the programs. And otherwise, there are like the summer internships where there's a financial um, um, uh, kind of compensation for the students, but it, it's mostly through awards. So you have to apply to UTEFA, I think it's called like a University of Toronto Excellence Award. And uh, there's another sponsored by NSERC. So every summer, there's like, you know, some of those things um, happening. And then, yeah, it's, it's usually reach out to the prof, but don't reach out to profs by like sending, this is my CV. Please have me in your lab. That doesn't work. We receive way too many of those, you know, emails, they are not personalized. I'm not asking like you know you tell me oh hi Fanny how are you doing like all of the politeness thing no I want to see that you're genuinely in, in, interested in in working with me because the research that I do is of interest to you so that's that's really where you're gonna hook on a prof is like by looking at their their website reading some of the papers, does it ring a bell? do you does it evoke some project ideas? And say like oh and, and and again not saying just like, oh I read your paper and I found it interesting. No, that doesn't tell me anything and and, and that's I have an entire page actually on, on my website where I tell students like you know don't do that because I'm not gonna respond because <laughs> I, I receive hundreds of those like on a monthly basis. but here's what you can do. go and read some of the papers. Try to think about research direction, what you're interested in. And it's not an exam. It's really to try to find why are you interested in research? What are some of the questions you would like to to pose and address? And why am I like, you know, somebody who you you think would be a good match to teach you that or accompany you in in looking at these things? Most of the time, we redefine the research uh, question because my input comes in, the discussion happens, we brainstorm together. But the first attempt has to be like, you know, Really, like, uh, I'm I'm really interested in, in looking into, you know, the perceptual, you know, big questions uh, that are associated with, you know, color. I've seen so many, like, bad color thing, and I think there's something in there. Well, it's like, this question is answered. I will, you know, probably send a paper. But I, I know the student had, you know, some thoughts of their own and tried to, you know, th- they are excited about some research questions. And that's, that's really how it goes. And it aligns with my interest. You say like, oh, I'm doing machine learning, I got like four out of four GPA. Like "Ah, that's that's like don't don't give me a CV. (laughs) Show me like, you know, who you are and why you're excited about doing research. And I'm not, it's not again an exam. It's not about you know judging whether your email is of quality or not. It's really understanding the motivations and if it's too too not personalized enough it's like uh, i i suspect that the same e- email has been sent like to another 100 profs and that i'm not the one targeted person that the person really wants to work with but and again it's not about making it about me and, and uh, many other profs are, are are like me like having the same strategy it's not about making it about ourselves it's making it about like why would that student want to integrate my, my lab, my any other lab, or is it because they really want to, to investigate some of the things? So send less emails, but really do your homework. Look for the people who do the research that you're attracted to do and even reach out to your previous you know instructors. You I mean, like you may not want to do research and visualization and thing, but you know, now you know me. You can say, Hey Fanny, I was in, in your class. And I think I'd like to do some research on, you know, machine learning things. Do you have any, like, you know, labs you can point me to, or like pointers on who, you know, could be good, good profs in that, in that space? So that's what you want to do. It's like a, be more selective about the, the initial places you would like to explore, but like do really your, the in-depth homework of saying, like, wow, I was very inspired by that paper because you know you made me think of blah and blah and blah, and that's that's what what needs to happen.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
2: At the undergrad level, it's that like the bar is way lower. We don't ask you to have all of the research questions in your head, but say it's a little different. But yeah, that's that's how I would recommend how to go by.
0: Okay. So now we're going to do our French section. Where I will Ooh. ask you some questions
1: <laughs> in French.
2: Oh wow. <laughs> <Good to run. laughs>
1: I will not. I'm just gonna learn French.
2: (laughs) I I don't know if I will be as articulate in French. I feel ridiculous saying so, but you know. (laughs) Okay, it's okay. I'm not like
0: perfect in (laughs) franchising. Okay. For the first question, um, where was your
2: family last year? Pardon, tu as été coupée un peu, donc l'été, j'ai compris, pour la première? Où était votre famille ah. l'année dernière? Où est ma famille et où elle est, elle est l'année dernière, comme tout le temps, euh, en France? Donc euh, dans un petit village où j'ai grandi, euh, où sont mes parents et tous mes frères sont dans des villages autour. Donc tout le monde est en France. Euh, dans un petit village proche de Bordeaux. Et est-ce que vous le avez rendu visite? Pas du tout. Euh, la dernière visite était l'été 2018, je crois. Donc ça commence à faire long. Ok. Je les ai vus euh... sur Skype et Zoom, mais pas en personne. Il doit vous manque. Uh, oui, me manque uh, beaucoup <rire> ma région aussi. J'aime beaucoup ma région et les amis que j'ai aussi en France et surtout mes neveux et nièces, les petits enfants de mes frères. Uh, mes parents, oui beaucoup. Uh, donc oui, c'est uh, c'est pas c'est pas facile, mais j'essaye toujours de me dire uh, on est quand même mieux maintenant que dix ans avant on a zoom on a le téléphone illimité on a toutes ces méthodes pour pouvoir uh, rester en contact uh, voir des photos uh, même en vidéo donc ça ça reste ça pourrait être pire it could always be worse that's what I'm trying to. <laughs> myself of. Donc, euh, on essaye de voir le côté, le côté positif de la chose. Euh, mes parents vont bien, mes frères vont bien, et on arrive à se voir. Donc, pour moi, ça me satisfait là. Le reste est du bonus. Mais oui, il me tarde vraiment, vraiment, vraiment de pouvoir les voir en personne.
0: Avant la pandémie. Est-ce que vous alliez
2: à la France souvent? Au moins une fois par an, en été en général, et parfois plus, parce que j'ai aussi beaucoup de collègues euh, chercheurs en France, donc j'ai la chance d'aller aussi travailler des fois avec mes collègues. Mais oui, tous les ans, Euh, En France et au Portugal parce que la famille de mon partenaire est au Portugal donc on faisait quelques semaines en en Europe comme ça, Euh, au moins une fois par an en été. Des fois aussi pour Noël mais pas, pas toujours.
0: Et quand la situation s'améliore, est-ce que vous irez
2: les voir tout de suite? Oui. <rire> <rire> euh, je pense essayer d'y aller avant la fin de l'année, euh, 2022, 2021, pardon, ouais, de cette année. Euh, j'attends de voir. On est un peu décalé au Canada et en Europe avec les, les vagues. Donc, euh, c'est déjà reparti, quatrième vague en Europe et en, au Canada. On est encore dans le plat, donc on est un peu en retard. Et je veux voir si ça re, si ça monte ici à Toronto et que ça descend en Europe. Ça serait le bon moment pour peut-être aller là-bas. Je suis vaccinée, donc je suis à l'aise. Mais bon, il y a trop d'incertitudes encore pour pour... pour pour être un des facteurs qui contribuent à, à faire circuler, c'est bien de rester plus localisé. Donc, euh, on attend de voir encore un peu. Mais on croise les doigts.
0: Oui. Et Tony, ta, ta famille est en Chine? Oui.
1: <rire> what? <rire> Sorry, I I don't understand. I
0: <laughs> your family Your family's abroad as well in China.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, my family is in China. So I am just like in Canada for the past year. What about you? Oh I mean, you, yeah. You went home for a while, right? And you just came back to Toronto like two weeks ago?
0: Yeah, like last week.
1: Oh yeah. Why is here oh, yeah.
2: Trinidad? oh wow isn't it like uh, all like perfect island beaches and like you know piña coladas and stuff (laughs) um not really not quite okay (laughs) my misconception see getting back to what i was saying earlier we believe way too often that we know things where we don't I I should go visit so I learn about Trinidad. Okay. We have a colleague at the department, uh, Joseph J. Williams, who also comes from Trinidad. Oh really? Yeah. I know him.
1: I know of yeah. him.
0: Oh. <laughs> Actually, I'm working in his lab this summer. Really? Oh, are
2: you? Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I I wanted to join the lab like two years ago, but I I don't think I got in. So. <laughs> And well, how, was-
2: did, how did you approach him then? You asked me how to integrate my lab, but how did it work?
1: If oh, I made- no, I just, I think uh, at the time when I applied, he only wants people in like fourth year or plus. So I wasn't in fourth year. So because of that.
0: <laughs> and what about you, Kimlin? Um, he-, he had some ROP
2: opportunities. So I applied to that. So there was a project defined and you applied for the project? Well,
0: it was kind of like a general description, like because there are multiple projects in the lab. So Mm -hmm. when we like joined the lab, we could choose which project we wanted to be a part of.
2: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. One of the mechanisms. Exciting.
0: Okay, so Tony, did you wanna say anything more about your experience before we move on?
1: Uh about COVID.
0: Yeah, and like your family being away from family.
1: Yeah, I couldn't okay. I think it was really hard for me to go back to China because they actually stopped all the flights from Canada. Well, they stopped the flights from every country in the world, um, for like a long time. And then when they when they um Opened again, I think it was one flight per country per week, so it was really hard for people to book the flight home because it was just just one flight, whereas it used to be um, like five to ten flights from Canada to China every day. Now it's like one flight one one week, so it was just harder for us to get back home. So I don't I don't know what's going on right now, but um, it's still kind of hard to go back. And if I go back home, I need to be quarantined for 28 days, mm. so that's just a whole month just wasted, or kind of just, again, go out. So I'm still here in Canada. <laughs> yeah,
2: I can relate. That was also one of the very like limiting factors, like you have to quarantine when you go there, you have to quarantine when you come back, and then, yeah. Whereas your month's gone, like if it's like quarantines in my case would be, I guess, around 15 plus 15 days. Uh, back yeah. then when, you know, uh, I don't know about, uh, fully vaccinated, I don't have to quarantine, I guess, uh, in France, nor here. But um, uh, but still, yeah, it's, uh, it's adding to the complexity and uh, quarantining, meaning you have to find a place to go, which is not at your uh, relatives uh, necessarily. Yeah. Because otherwise it's not quarantining. You're just like exposing yourself to to other people and them to you. So yeah, it's complex. I didn't know it was one flight per week. Yeah. No. And was what was the price like then gone up like crazy as a Yeah. Was it kind of.
1: I think it went up by a lot. I didn't check because I just knew that I'm not gonna <laughs> have one. Yeah. It's just really hard to. But.
0: Wow. I guess I got lucky because like I got like one of the last flights home before they closed the borders in my country, and then it remained closed for like like almost a year, I think, and then only recently reopened
2: a couple of months ago hmm. so in France the, you know they have the um, passport like the vaccination passport in there, so they, they have reopened a lot of things, uh, restaurants, you know, uh, malls, like there's, there's like plenty of the restrictions that have been lifted, but that are now reserved for the people with a vaccination passport. And even though I have been vaccinated, I have been vaccinated in Canada, and the process to get your vaccination passport, even though I'm a French citizen for like international, you know uh expat we call them so people who have left the country to live in a, in another uh country so we are still citizens we have like plenty of like you know a lot of the citizenship uh, like all governments are trying to to make it you know easier for you but they had the 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 system um not fully in place also like for the summer i think it's gone better now so i can show my Ontario proof of vaccination but um uh, it, it wasn't that straightforward for, for French people to who live in, in a different country to come back to France and just like be able to take the train, because the trains now you have to have a proof of, of you know uh, a proof of vaccination to take the, the, the long distance trains and this kind of thing. So it's very limiting also what you can do and how you can navigate uh, on site if you, even though you have been vaccinated because there's a lot of international coordination that needs to happen and it's difficult, but we're getting there, I guess.
0: Okay. What lessons have you learned from the pandemic and how have you changed? or are
2: you doing anything differently moving forward? Uh, That's that's an interesting and difficult question that you ask here. Like it's difficult to to say what has changed. Uh, In me, I have, well, what I've changed, I've put on weight because I've been sitting (laughs) in my chair in my home for a long period of time compared to to normally. But uh, uh, no jokes aside, um, I've changed my approach to um, going around and about Toronto because I've had to stay here and I love to travel and usually go and would try to do things, you know. Uh, as we said before, traveling to Europe, and I will make most of my summer, but it's been two or three summers that I'm stuck uh, in Toronto, not that I dislike it, but, you know, for the reasons we understand, traveling is also very exciting, but that made me appreciate the city and try to do many different things in the city as I would usually do, so there's no more pubs, as are well. no more like, you know, I love the tilt. I don't know if you know that venue like where you can play um, arcade games. You pay $5 and then you go and there are plenty of flippers you can play for free and very old games back for back when I was a kid, you know, that you can play for free, just like five bucks to get in and then you play uh, inside. So because all of those things where we're closed, you have to reinvent the way you entertain yourself because you cannot watch Netflix all day long, all time long, or just like, you know, go and and do things at uh, a little walk at the park, right? So I I play ping pong now, <laughs> The a ping pong table close to me at the park, uh, so I enjoy that a lot. I've been discovering plenty of um, of areas of the city, the waterfront, I know plenty of parks, uh now like actually biking along the waterfront is is really amazing in toronto and i did not take advantage of that in my five seven years you know prior to the pandemic and now i'm going almost every weekend there uh, during the summer time because it's lovely you go grab a few things for the picnic and and you just like sit there and it's nice and 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 kind um besides that like you know i I don't know i i really try to refocus it's very easy to get into like the the bad habit of complaining about many things uh you know it's it's tough on everybody the pandemic don't get me wrong it's tough because we're far from our relative it's tough for the work it's a lot of Zoom fatigue, it's a lot of, you know, I don't want to work uh, or like, you know, it's, it's there are many, many challenges, uh, you know, associated with that. But there are plenty of things also that we take usually. uh So first, it allows to reassess what we usually take for granted, <laughs> like just, you know, being able to go and hug people, we take it for granted. But that's something that, you know, we're deprived of for the most part at the moment. But it made me also think about those in the world who are deprived of that, even non pandemic, you know, kind of uh, contexts. And regarding, like, you know, complaining about, you know, oh, I'm sitting on the chair or like, oh, it's tough to work from home. I know I'm not trying to, um, you know, belittle my problems or so those of other people who think, you know, uh, of those problems, but I, I've seen also a lot of other people struggling way more. Than am I could possibly uh, ever struggle because just their profession was not as comfortable as the one I have. So I have not been threatened uh, in terms of you know receiving my paycheck every month because the university education remains there and edu- students still come in, in in and they need to be you know um, uh, taught to so that's something that wasn't affected. Uh, uh, in terms of the frequentation and the need as much as, you know, smaller shops where like, you know, not being able to open your your, your shop, not being able to open your restaurant, that means no clients, I mean no income. And, you know, that's, that's very tough on people and and plus, you know, these people might have kids which is not also a problem of mine i didn't have to worry about my my children and so on because i don't have children uh which you know you see that kind of positive light also and and, and these kind of things my parents live in a very like you know remote village not in a in a like you know uh a big city with a lot of traffic having to go to work or being exposed and so on so there's plenty of things that you try to recalibrate and see like you know how freaking lucky am I in that like very terrible situation and that's that's allowing to really approach life with a much more positive you know uh kind of um uh, manner so it's helped me you know approach and cope with with the difficulty and um not that I'm happy about you know my own situation compared to those others and I don't care but it, it helps you know not complain too much about you know things where you know that other people suffer much more, so I'm 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 usually a, a compassionate person, but I, I be I believe I've, be, I've become even more uh, with with that that
1: whole thing. Great, merci beaucoup. I think that was the last question, <laughs> for you. Uh, do you have any questions for us?
2: Well, I I would return the question because I'm interested to know like you know how it's been for you like um. I appreciate you are in a very different period of your life than I am, and you know how how is it that the uh, the pandemic has has affected you in terms of like you know seeing your future, seeing your current situation, and how did it change your perspectives on things? And and you, like, I guess it's a similar question that I have for you, if you may.
1: Share. Sure. Similar as you, I started to bike all the time now too so maybe I might see you on the street someday because I, I bike all the time like, and it has been fun uh, because I, I feel like I've been staying at home for too long I just need to, to go out but um, I prefer not to walk that much because there's people everywhere so <laughs> I prefer to bike um, Yeah, so maybe I'll see you on the street, sometime. <laughs> yeah, at the park. Yeah,
0: at the park. How, how about, about you,
1: Kim
0: Oh, I don't know how to bike, but I would love to learn. But um, I've really been at home for the year, and I've been grateful, you know, to have, like, a home and my parents to live with. Um, yeah, I'm also, like, I guess I'm grateful to have had that time with my family as well. So I guess being in Toronto, I was like away from them most of the time. So it was kind of nice to like spend time with them and like see them every day.
2: Yeah. Again, things we take for granted, we appreciate even more, I guess, in this context. Yeah. Which is a good thing, I, I believe. But I mean, not that I wish for more of this. But I think, yeah, this this allows to... Uh, to be more realistic about also some of the stupid problems that we might, you know, uh, just impose on ourselves like typically, like, you know, being upset at someone for like no real valid reason. We we try to do that that less because there are bigger problems that, you know, make it that we shouldn't waste our time with this. (laughs)
1: Yeah. (laughs) Great. I think that was that concludes the end of this episode and i think this is also our last episode ever at least for now so thank you so much
2: thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure
0: that's it for today and as
1: always
2: wash your hands stay hydrated stay active
1: love yourself
0: and most importantly tune in to our listen talk heal podcast